Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Wouldn't you know, it's raining again. I'm certainly not complaining. I know that Southern California desperately needs the rain. Now, it's kind of funny when I lived in Los Angeles. It didn't rain very often, but whenever it did, it always seemed to rain on a Thursday. And uh, here we are two weeks in a row, and I checked the weather for next week. Looks like next Thursday, we have rain again. I'm hoping for a little bit of snow, uh, especially given the time of year, but I'll take whatever precipitation we can get our hands on. Now, I have a great show lined up for you guys this evening, one filled with an array of paranormal goodies. So let's quit with the jabbering and make with the spooky. Our first call of the evening comes to us from Ed in the state of Washington. Derek, this is Ed again. Got another UFO story that I heard the other day from my mother-in-law. Um, so this story takes place about um, 30, 32 years ago. Uh, it took place also in Washington. And uh, so my the story goes that my mother-in-law was driving... She's driving kind of down a dark road because the, the area that she lives in, uh, it's, it's a little bit more, like, suburban, so not every street has uh, lampposts to illuminate the roads. Um, but, yeah, so she was driving down the road, down the street, and she had her her son, my brother-in-law, with, him at the, with her at the time. He was in the back seat. He was only about three or four years old. And, uh, so as she was driving down the street on this dark road, all of a sudden she, uh, she noticed that the car up ahead had stopped. And so it, this was only a two lane road. So, you know, they're blocking the way that, that blocking her way to try to get around. So, um, she, she didn't know, she didn't think anything of it. She thought maybe they broke down or something like that. But then, um, as she kept driving, she, she, could see that the driver got out and he was looking up at something. And so then she, she was, she was confused. And so she, you know, pulled off to the side and she uh, also got out of her car, you know, to try to see what was going on. So when she stepped out of her car, she looked up and there was a uh, triangular shaped craft of some sort. And, you know, it was like, it was that typical triangle shaped UFO that you hear about with the three lights on each uh, point of the triangle. 
and she said it was uh, covering probably about uh, like maybe 300, 400 feet off the ground, and it, there was no sound, no sound of any sort, and it was flying at a very low speed. Um, but yeah, it was just it, it was just flying by, and you know there there was actually she said there was a couple more cars that were there, so she. Was, didn't know what to think of it. Um, at first, she thought it was a uh, an aircraft, maybe like a, a, a some sort of test aircraft, new or new aircraft from uh, the the base nearby. She uh, she uh, lives in an area near the uh, Lewis McCord base out here in Washington, so um, could have been. Um, well, I, I just thought, you know, since I called in about my story, I thought. This would be another interesting story that you might be able to use them on the show. Uh, all right, well, thanks. Thank you, Ed. Now, i got to be honest. It sounds like something straight out of the movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I can picture Richard Dreyfus stepping out of his beat-up old truck and looking skyward in amazement. It certainly paints a picture. But in reality, we've had reports of flying wedges or triangles before. In fact, there are several infamous sightings of these crafts in Belgium, Illinois, Phoenix, and Texas. So it's not really a surprise that one will be seen in Washington State as well. In addition to the similar reports, the timeline fits as well. One of the biggest cases took place around the same time period, in Belgium in 1989. For more on the Belgian UFO flap, I'm going to send it over to Unsealed Files on YouTube. Eupen, Belgium, November 29, 1989. Two police officers patrolling a country road spot a blinding light coming from a nearby field. Arriving on the scene, they are astounded to see an enormous black triangle hovering silently overhead. Blazing lights emanate from each of the three corners, while a single blood-red beacon blinks on and off at its heart. The men look on in astonishment as the UFO begins moving silently toward the nearby town. They immediately set out in pursuit. Arriving in Yupin, they are among dozens who watch spellbound as it hangs motionless above the town for over 30 minutes. By the end of the night, an estimated 1,500 people will report a UFO encounter in one of history's biggest mass sightings. But for Belgium, the Yupin incident is only the beginning. Per usual, you can find a link to this complete video in the show notes for tonight's episode by visiting MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com. Thank you again, Ed, for that amazing story. Our next story of the evening took me for a bit of a loop. The following is Dana's call from the UK. Hi Derek, it's uh, Dana calling again. I am the Canadian living in Glasgow, UK. Uh, The story I'm gonna tell took place in my flat in Glasgow. Um, I live in a tenement building for people who don't know what that is. It's uh, just kind of like a tall, skinny old building of apartments, um, two per floor. I have uh, six flats in my building. Um, Mine's pretty run down and uh, From what I've looked up online, I think that some tenements were made in the late 1800s. I don't know about ours, but I wouldn't doubt it if I was told that because it is pretty old. Um, So 
Uh, I guess I should preface a story with saying that um, a couple months before it happened, someone really close to me um, had died in a violent way, very suddenly, very unexpectedly, and I hadn't been sleeping well, I've never been a great sleeper, but um, yeah, just kind of like pushed it to a new level. So I um, share, like I, I share my flat with my partner, um, so I wasn't alone when this happened, but he was snoring next to me. Um, I'd set up a little table next to the bed and was often watching Netflix until three or four in the morning, sometimes later, or would just kind of wake up throughout the night with um, nightmares or just like weird dreams or just like, you know, kind of cycling thoughts about um, my friend who I'd lost. And um, so would just kind of turn on Netflix so I wouldn't have to think about it. And um, I wasn't watching anything scary. I was watching like whatever that 70s show or something stupid that I can fall asleep to. Um, And... I would say that both, so it's two things um, that happened within a couple of months of each other, maybe even within the same month. It was a couple years ago now, so I I should have uh, written it down, I guess, because I'm not remembering it perfectly anymore, um, the the events leading up to it. But uh, they happened almost under the exact same events, so I'm going to say them both in this call um just in case somebody finds a correlation because i'd be interested to know what they are because i still can't figure it out and i've looked it up online um so in both of these instances i was awake i didn't um i've had sleep paralysis i've had kind of um sleeping pill related hallucinations before i haven't been on sleeping pills in years and i definitely know the difference between sleep paralysis and being awake um both of these things happened when i was awake i was watching something on youtube and um i think both of these happened after i had returned from the bathroom because i would often kind of as i was dozing um it would be kind of around three or four in the morning and i'd think okay well i might as well go pee once before i try to go to sleep so i would get up and go to the toilet go back to bed so I'm, I'm pretty sure that both of these happened after I'd returned to bed from the toilet. But I my memory isn't 100%, so I, I could be wrong. It could have happened before I got up. But I felt that I was pretty awake in both instances. The first thing that happened was I had turned off the iPad, I think. Either, either way, it was off both times. Like I decided I was going to try to go to sleep. And was lying in bed and just had this bad feeling, this like ominous feeling. And I caught something out of the corner of my eye and I looked up and it was this kind of rectangular static cloud floating above me maybe um maybe like a foot and a half above my head and it sounds kind of silly but I'd been kind of saying like to my friend who had died I had said if you're going to show yourself to me like if there's life after death if you're going to show yourself to me do it in a dream do it in some other way i i don't think i can handle seeing you as a ghost so at first i was like maybe that's her maybe this is how she shows herself to me but it didn't feel positive it felt ominous it felt scary and it was like this rectangular kind of like boiling static above me um and at first i thought well i'm just my eyes are tired i've been watching netflix all night so i looked away blinked a few times looked back up it was still there it wasn't drifting with my eyes like how black spots might drift you know when you are looking around a room and you think you see a spider or fly or whatever and then you kind of it drifts with your vision you realize no it's my eyes this didn't drift this stayed stationary it didn't go away and I started to become really afraid and I think at some point I just 
this is what I, I don't remember what happened. I think I, maybe I got up and went in the other room and watched TV or maybe I went to the toilet. I don't remember. Either way, I kind of like broke what was happening so that I was out of that kind of situation where I was lying beneath this white cloud looking thing and uh, never saw that again. Just wrote it off as, okay, whatever. I must have been tired and saw this weird thing. But the fact that I blinked, looked away, looked back up, it, it wasn't going away. And it felt really ominous, which is weird for a white static cloud. Um, next thing that happened was within, I think, a month or two. Uh, same situation, so I won't go over it again. Looking out at the room, um, in between, it, it's pretty narrow between my bed and the wall. Uh, only a few feet, like maybe four feet and I've got a little dresser across from me so it's kind of like a narrow hallway between me and the wall like somebody could stand like three feet away from me and walk which is kind of what happened so again I'm lying there turned off Netflix and turned off my iPad and something kind of catches my eye this movement kind of towards the light corner of the room catches my eye the figure kind of like of a stocky not like tall but like kind of stocky kind of man size maybe like average man size I don't know like 5'10 5'11 pretty wide figure but it's weird it, it was like a heat wave like the texture of this silhouette was like a heat wave but it had very clear edges like it didn't just kind of stretch out or fuzz out it was almost like um nothing there was no like solid lines like no black lines or anything but it all felt like a very clear silhouette but like with a heat wave kind of texture to the body um and it had kind of glowing red um just like normal kind of almond shape eyes glowing red eyes and again i kind of blinked a few times and was like what this i'm just seeing things i'm tired and it just stared at me and slowly walked across the room like just past me and I was just lying there watching it and pretty afraid and not sure what to do and it it didn't come towards me or anything but it just felt malicious the way that it looked at me and just yeah slowly walked kind of like with its shoulders kind of hunched a little bit across my room and when it passed my field of vision, I hid my head under the blankets and waited for, I'd say, several minutes. And finally just, like, reached out from the blankets, turned the iPad back on. I don't think I slept for the rest of the night. Just watched TV for the rest of the night. Again, nothing happened. I was lying there thinking he's going to reach in through the bedpost and grab me or something. Nothing happened. And and that's it. That That's all I've seen of him. Never saw anything again. Don't know any history of the building, if there was anything bad here. It felt like it didn't want me here. That was the feeling I got. But uh, I hope that you can shed some light on these two instances. And yeah, love your show. Been binging it. Uh, thank you so much for it. And goodbye. Thank you, Dana. Now, the first time I listened to this call, I assumed it was about a haunting of some sort. But the second time through, something clicked. Could this be another one of those Glimmerman sightings? Now, I know what you're thinking. This is crazy talk, but hear me out. If you remember back to episodes 3 and 7 of this season, we heard from Justin and Jen who told of wavy-shaped men and even green-screened areas that were square in shape, not unlike what appeared over Dana's head. Now, of course, one could argue that this took place in another country. Why would the U.S. military run a drill like that in a flat in Scotland? Now, to that, I would say, 
we don't know for sure that the U.S. military is the only power to have this technology. But, more importantly, we're not even sure that this is military tech at all. There's no guarantee that whatever this is, is from our planet. Now, there's certainly evidence to support that the U.S. military is working on technology like this, so I guess it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to assume that this is some sort of military exercise. But how would they get into Dana's flat, and why, of all places? Now, of course, this could be some sort of interdimensional being, or even a regular everyday haunting. Uh, so we won't jump to conclusions, but I thought it was worth at least exploring that option, uh, the description of the figure and the description of the strange rectangle shape uh, certainly goes in line with both Jen and Justin's reports. And that could also explain why she only witnessed this strange phenomenon one time. Thank you again, Dana, for taking the time to share your story from so far away. Now, the next call actually goes in line with this glimmer man or predator-like being. A few weeks ago, after Justin and Jen submitted their calls, I received this anonymous call uh, with a plausible explanation for what they may have run into. Hi, um, I wanted to call in. I didn't really want to leave any personal information, but um, for one, I just want to tell you I really like the podcast. I've been listening for a couple months now, and I heard a story a couple weeks ago about a couple that was traveling from Washington to Utah to go to an amusement park, and I guess they took a detour and they ended up at a rest stop. After going to a couple other strange places, they ended up at a rest stop. And the the guy described seeing uh, like an almost a, an invisible type person, somebody that it seemed almost pixelated. It seemed. And when he said that, for some reason, it sounded real familiar to me. Like I've heard that somewhere before. I've seen that or read that. Some something about you know like a pixelated human like that before. So you know, I listened to it and. Uh, I didn't give it much thought, you know, the little, his story was so detailed and the emotion that he was putting into the story as he was telling it, you know, I could tell that he was being completely honest and, you know, I I believed him 100%. And so the other night I was listening and I heard the follow-up version of the story from the woman that happened to be there as well, from her perspective. And uh, her story was equally as strange, I guess you could say, um... She described seeing like a green screen, which she thought she saw a seam in it. And again, her, her, her story was equally as strange. So it, it really intrigued me. I started doing a little bit of research. I remember her saying something about um, Lake Pend Oriel, or maybe he said it, but you know, and they said that they were actually near that lake, um, you know, and saw some some campsites around it and such. So I had an idea of where they were. They said they were uh, kind of in federal forest around that lake. So I started doing a little bit of research and I found out pretty quick that the Navy, the U.S. Navy has a secret base there. I guess it's not so secret if we know about it, but I guess they carry out secret operations there and have for some time. It's a very deep lake. It's almost 1,200 feet deep. And apparently they have submarines tethered down there. They do sonar um, sonar experiments and a lot of other things. It's literally been called the area, uh, the Navy's Area 51. There's a lot of strange things going on with the Navy carrying out operations there. So then I got onto some 
forum, which this is strange. I got into uh, some forum and there's other kind of, you know, anecdotal kind of evidence and, and people relaying um, uh, um, stories of other strange occurrences in the surrounding area there. Kind of the same kind of things. When I went back in to go read some more of the form, I couldn't find it, and it was actually gone from my history, which was really strange. But anyways, so upon, you know, finding that and then listening to their story, it just seems so crazy to me that, 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 that it would just be a coincidence. And then, you know, I started thinking of uh, the Navy had practiced with invisibility experiments in the past with the uh, with, uh, Philadelphia experiment. I think they tried to make a ship disappear. And when I read that story about the Philadelphia experiment, you know, a long time ago, it talked about a, a man that almost seemed pixelated, kind of fading in and out of reality. And then it hit me that that was the familiar aspect of, of the gentleman's story that I was hearing. And it just, I don't know, it all just seems so weird. And I, I don't know, it seems like that would be a really good, uh, maybe understanding of what, of what, of what they experienced and what's going on there. But I just wanted to call in and let you know that maybe that is a, a well-known thing. I don't know, but I had never heard anything about it. And it was it wasn't. I mean, I was able to find a little bit of information on it, but it, it was it wasn't that easy to find a bunch of information on it. But anyways, hopefully that could shed some light on things. And again, love your podcast. Uh, thank you. Of course, our caller is talking about ARD Bayview Naval Base on Lake Ponderay in Idaho. Like our caller, I had not heard of this secret base myself. But after a quick Google search, I discovered that there's a good deal of controversy surrounding that body of water. As to not fall into a rabbit hole, I'll direct you to a Chive article on the subject found in the show notes or on our social media pages. So thank you, caller, for tipping us off on that. Our next call of the evening is a Bigfoot story. The following is Rhonda's call. Hi, Derek. Um, my name is Rhonda. I, I'm from Arizona. This incident that I wanted to tell you about uh, took place right around the same time, um, so 1976 to 1977, somewhere in there. It was frigid cold winter. We lived. I lived at the time with my family in um, Avoca, New York, which is a little teeny tiny town um, off the Genesee Parkway highway parkway something like that near corning new york two and a half hours i believe southeast of buffalo new york and we lived in avoca and it was it was frigidly cold i just the winters there were ridiculously cold and i was about again i was about five or six and i lived on maple street my cousin who was my best friend and still is at the time um she lived directly on the street behind us which was charlesworth and there the back of their house faced directly to the back of our house so we would meet in the field um in like the easeway be- between the backs of our homes well this particular day um it was probably mid-morning-ish. Um, we had gotten our snow clothes on, had gone outside, 
and in between my house and facing my house, it would have been the neighbor to the left. But in between the two homes was, I guess you could call it like a gully or there was, you know, like the houses were up on um, a little bit of an incline and then, you know, the little place in between the houses, I don't know what it's called. Anytime it would snow or rain, it would collect there. Well, this particular day, we're my cousin Heather and I were walking through to come back to my house, and um, or at least to come back to my side of the street. And as we were walking up, we both at the very same time, and we're we're right around the same age as each other, so we both at the very same time noticed that in the little gully there, there had been like a little pond of ice that had frozen overnight and in that pond and I still have a hard time believing that this is actually something that we saw but I know that it's true because we saw it we were too young to do hallucinogens (laughs) um you know we just we knew what we saw and neither one of us were raised particularly to be religious um But we both looked and saw what appeared to be and what was, in fact, a human footprint. But this was unlike any other human footprint we had ever seen. It ran the length and the width of this little gully, this little, like, easeway, which means that the footprint, which you could see the articulated toes, the big toe, the the, almost like one of those pictures, you know, footprints in the sand kind of thing like a bare footprint of a human being and it was probably 10 to 12 feet in length and about I don't know six to seven feet it was it was a rectangular shape obviously because that's basically what our feet fit into our rectangles and it was in the ice it was an imprint in the ice it was like a giant had walked through and just caught its thin footprint in the ice we both just kind of looked at each other and I said like that's crazy what what could have made that the edges were rounded I mean there was no swirl patterns or anything like that any craziness like that as if this isn't crazy enough but there was no you know like footprints like actual prints from the toes or anything like that. There was no wrinkles from where the skin was or anything, but the the toes were rounded. The heel was rounded. We both just were stunned. Um, I mean, even at those young ages, we knew that that was not something that we should be seeing in ice, in a gully, in the middle of winter in New York. I mean, that's just not something that you would see. So my cousin and I both, we devised a plan And I was going to stay with the footprint, like as if it was going to disappear or something. And my cousin ran, because we were closer to my house, my cousin ran um, and grabbed, you know, went and and told my mom, who very begrudgingly came out because she thought we were playing a prank on her. And she came out and she looked at the footprint and she looked at both of us and she said, what did you girls do? And we both were this was not us. We walked up on it. This was how it was. Mom, I was, I was dumbfounded. I said, mom, what could have made this? 
And she said, I want both of you to get in the house right now. And she just kind of swept it under the rug. Um, she didn't call anybody. I mean, in this day and age right now, if that had happened to me, I would be calling somebody, the news, somebody. I mean, that's kind of crazy. And But she didn't call anybody. Um, she didn't let us out of the house for the rest of the day until Heather's parents had called for her to come home. And she basically just told us that we needed to just not talk about it, that it wasn't something that was real, that somebody was playing a prank. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I know that, like, crop circles and things like that can be faked. I mean, we all know that this is an actuality. But how the hell would you fake a human footprint 10 to 12 feet in length and maybe 6 to 7 feet in width? At, the, at, at, like, the ball of the foot. That's about how wide it was at the ball of the foot, I guess I should tell you. Um, the toes were articulated. I mean, there was, you could see the arch of the foot. There's just no way that some, I, I can't think of any way that anybody could have ever faked something like that. Um, and plus putting it into ice. There was no fissures or cracks in the ice. It was smooth as glass, as if somebody had just stepped in it and just, like, in sand or in the snow or whatever and just created this footprint. So over the years, Heather and I have discussed it and we were like, that was just nuts. You know, it was just crazy. But we both know what we saw and I don't know how that could have even ever happened, but I'm sure that there's a plausible explanation why either real or um, faked, you know, it was a prank or something. I don't know how, but I guess stranger things have happened. Um, but yeah, so I figured I would let you know about that. Uh, I have tons more stories. I'm just kind of going chronologically as I come up through my childhood and into my adult years. So hopefully this will help. So, um, cause I love the show and you guys do a really great job and I'm very entertained by you. And I like the fact that you are a bit of a skeptic and I also have my, fiance now listening to you and he's not into cryptids or anything like that he's i mean he believes in things like that but he doesn't he's never listened to podcasts before and he loves it he loves the show so keep up the good work and i will call again all right thanks bye thank you Rhonda, and thank you for introducing the show to your fiance that's pretty awesome So, coming from a bit of a skeptic, although a hopeful one, I have no logical explanation for what Rhonda and Heather found that evening. My only suggestion would be that maybe an artist that melts ice to create his work found an opportunity in this small pond to create a work of art, basically. But, I find that to be a bit of a stretch. So I'm just going to call this one unsolved. Maybe someone listening has some information, or better yet, their own experience with a gigantic foot. And speaking of experiences, I still need your hometown legends. We only have a couple short episodes left before the season finale. So if you're sitting on a story about your hometown or the town you live in now, call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can hit the Report Your Sightings tab on the website or email me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com.
Now our next tale of the evening actually is a Bigfoot tale. The following is Michael's call from the state of California. Hi Derek, my name is Michael. I was talking to you on Facebook a couple of days ago about an experience that I had in Pinecrest. I was listening to episode 18 of season 5, and I think it was episode 4 or 5 of the same season, where Sean had gone up to Pinecrest, and he had both seen and had a couple of other experiences with Sasquatch up there. Um, I'm just relaying some supplementary information because I had an experience up there. On July 8th, 2015, I can't remember the exact time, but I'm going to go with around like 11, 30, 12, because we had just finished cleaning up from lunch. Um, my friends and I had gone camping up at Pinecrest on one of the campsites that's about maybe like 15 minutes north of the lake. And it was, it was pretty out there in the middle of nowhere. Our campsite was next to a ravine and there was a pretty slow moving river next to it, but you could hear the water at night. When we had gone, finished cleaning up breakfast, a friend of mine had gone down to see like what the easiest little path would be for us to get down to the river. Um, two of us stood back and started cleaning up. As the third friend, Caitlin, was coming up from the river, the two friends, Sarah and I, had stopped, and we just got hit with this smell. I Just this awful smell. I grew up in the country. I know what a skunk smells like. I know what cheap weed smells like. I mean, I had almost, like, just graduated from high school in 2011, so I still remember that terrible smell. But... I, I know the plants out there. I know what is growing out there and, like, what it smells like. But this smelled like this awful, awful combination of that musky, just wet, gross smell of, like, a wet dog, something that had been dug up, like, fresh earth, and just this disgusting musk. I've never smelled anything like that before or since or after. But I started looking around, and I could not find anything disturbed nothing and the smell was just as if something as if like one of those older women that wears a lot of perfume walks by you and you just catch the scent really quickly and then it goes away like that's exactly what it was I looked around for the next day or two trying to find something and I could not find anything but I started reading up more and more about the sightings from BFRO and about Miwok and Yoka legends that had been up there and both listed having Sasquatch experiences up there, not close to the lake, but in the general county that it's in and that area in general. I hope this is helpful, and I hope you can use it. Thank you. Love your show. Bye. Thank you, Michael. I've been talking to Michael a lot lately, the past couple of days. He's um, doing an artist rendition of Scott's Human-Headed Spider Call from, uh, I believe, Season 3. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he comes up with. Now, as for Michael's experience, I don't put a ton of stock in scents uh, that you experience in the forest. Uh, There's an array of different creatures, plants, fungus, uh, decaying matter that could produce uh, Sasquatch-like smells, I guess. Let's put it that way. But, that said, this area certainly has a history of Bigfoot uh, experiences. In fact, Michael even spoke of a call that we received a while back uh, from that same area. Now, in fact, I'm actually so intrigued by this area that I'm talking with Sarah about putting together uh, a short little camping trip slash Bigfoot expedition for June. 
or maybe July, something like that. I'm not sure when the area opens up. Uh, many areas in Northern California close completely for the winter. You can't even get into these places. So uh, I'd have to do some research and find out if, if the Pinecrest area is one of those. Uh, but either way, it's, it's something that I'm really looking forward to hopefully checking out at some point here this next, uh, this next year. So thank you again, Michael, for taking the time and, again, looking forward to that uh, artwork. Now, before I dig into the final call of the evening, I need to touch on a little information. Be sure to follow us on our social media accounts. Uh, We have a Twitter account, we have an Instagram account, we have a Facebook account, and we have a Facebook group. I highly, highly suggest that you uh, log in and join one, if not all four. And if you're a member of the Facebook group, I stumbled upon a post from the podcast Monster Talk, which if you guys haven't checked out Monster Talk, and if you're skeptically minded, that's definitely the podcast for you. Blake and Karen over there do a, they do a wonderful job of, of putting that show together. But at any rate, they posted this morning a trail cam photo of a white mountain lion, something I didn't even know could exist uh, or did exist. So uh, if you're a member of the uh, Facebook Go over and and join the Monsters Among Us fan group. You see all kinds of crazy things. If you have some of that holiday cash burning a hole in your pocket, I'm building a new studio and research space. I'm actually going to start in January. So if you have a couple bucks laying around that you'd like to donate, uh, all donations from now until it's finished are going toward that project. Uh, So even a buck or two certainly goes a long way to help out. Uh, as I said, don't forget to submit your hometown legends, and that applies to all in any spooky story. And I've had a lot of emails lately asking if uh, they can submit secondhand stories, and I'm all about that. If something strange happened to your dad or your grandfather or your cousin's uncle's friend, uh, we want to hear about it. We really do. Uh, the only thing I do ask is that you include as much detail as possible, and I know that can be tricky as a secondhand story. And I have some great news. I finally put the order in for some Monsters Among Us hats. And I kind of run the gamut on this. I did uh, beanies, I did uh, trucker hats, and I did the dad hats. So if that's something that interests you, they should be in the shop before Christmas. I'm doing my very best to put them in. My embroidery guy, Nate, is working on them as we speak. So once they're here, I'll have them up in the shop, up on Facebook, Twitter, wherever. And uh, you guys can hopefully pick those up before Christmas, and I'll try to get everything out as quickly as possible. Those will be unveiled soon, hopefully. And the last order of business is a bit of a somber one. This time of year can be extremely difficult on people. There's a lot of uh, responsibilities. There's a lot of uh, sentimental memories, and uh, it it just piles on. So I just want to share with everybody that if you're having a difficult time this time of year and and you think there's no hope or there's thoughts of harming yourself or something along those lines, I I beg of you to call the suicide hotline. And that number is 1-800-273-8255. And for those that are just catching up on episodes, uh, a little over a year ago, I lost my little brother to suicide. And it has for lack of a better term, wrecked our family's lives. So I I just, I I ask that before you do anything rash or crazy, just think about those around you and think about help beforehand. And anyone that feels they need help, uh, some sort of intervention, please call the line. There's no shame. 
There's complete anonymity. Do it if not for yourself, but for your family and your friends. And that said, let's move on to our final call of the evening. As anyone in the States, and most likely around the world, can tell, the holidays are upon us. And I've been sitting on this story for well over a year now, and I wanted to play it around Christmas time. So, without further ado, the following is Gabe's story. Hi, Derek. My name is Gabe. I just discovered your podcast, and I had a story I wanted to share. I apologize if if this isn't the type of story you guys usually uh, deal with, but anyway, I just... I've had this rattle around in my head for a long time. I feel like telling somebody. Um, This happened when I was a little kid. I was very young, probably maybe three or four years old, maybe five. Uh, So this would have been late 80s, you know, 89, 88, something like that. And uh, I'll just say I'm not the type of person that believes in supernatural stuff. So I'm sure that this had to have been, I don't know, a dream or something. But anyway, I'll get to that later. So uh, when I was a little kid, I remember there was a time my parents used to go to a church in, uh, it's either Livonia, Michigan or Redford, Michigan, somewhere, uh, somewhere outside Detroit. And I remember there being a day where they were going to some event at the church, and so they took me with them. I was a little kid, so they put me in the nursery, and somebody was there just watching over all the little kids playing with toys until the parents were ready. And I remember at the time I had this doll. It was like a little, it was a, a reindeer, a little stuffed reindeer. And you know, I remember it was Prancer. It wasn't Rudolph. It was Prancer. Anyway, so I was in the nursery. I was playing around. And I remember they had this, there was this thing I've seen it since. It's like this set of colored buckets. Each one's a different color. I want to say each one has like a different shape on the end of it or something. But it's just a set of buckets. You could like take them to the beach and you could make like a sandcastle or something. So I was playing around with one of these buckets. I put Prancer down on the ground. I picked up this bucket. I set the bucket on top of Prancer so that, you know, the bucket was upside down. And I took my hand and I sort of, like, swished the bucket in a circle a few times clockwise. So, like, to the, you know, to the right. And then I picked up the bucket and the Prancer doll was gone. And I remember thinking, that's really weird. Even as a little kid, I, I, I didn't think that that should be possible. So I set the bucket back down, you know, again, uh, upside down. And I swished it around in a circle counterclockwise. I didn't know what that meant as a kid, just I knew I did it to the right, now I did it to the left. Picked up the bucket, and Prancer was back. And I remember, at this point, I called over, you know, I got somebody's attention. The, the adult who was in charge, some of the other kids, I don't remember. I got, I got people around to watch this. I grabbed, there was this other toy, it was like a green, in my, in my head I remember it as being like a, like a leg of a toy or something, like a leg had come off an action figure. I set it down on the ground, I put the bucket on top of it, I swished it around clockwise, picked it up, it was gone. Everybody around me was perplexed as to how I had done this. I put the bucket back down, swished it around counterclockwise, picked it up, it's back. And I'm pretty sure by this point I had gotten the attention of one or more adults that were in the room. So I put Prancer down, put the bucket on top of Prancer, swished it around to the right, Prancer's gone. I grabbed the green leg or whatever again, set it down, put the bucket on top of it, swished it around clockwise, it's gone. I grabbed some third toy, it was like a block or something, I don't remember. Put that under the bucket, swished it around uh, to the right, it's gone. So then I thought, okay, I'm going to show these guys how it's done. So I put the bucket just by itself, swished it around to the left, the block comes back. 
took the block out, did it again, the green thing comes back. Did it a third time, no prancer. I tried it a few more times, nothing. I don't, I don't know how I had done this or what had happened, but Prancer wasn't coming back. I was probably pretty upset. I was a bratty little kid at the time. But the, the weird cap to this story is that I remember about a week later, we were at church again, and somebody had found Prancer outside in the grass. It's the weirdest thing. I know it had to have been a dream. I mean, come on. Like, what else would it have been? But I, I remember dreams from when I was that age. And this, this does not feel like it was a dream to me. Like, I, I remember what dreams felt like at that time in my life. But when I remember this, I don't remember it like I remember a dream. I remember it like something that really happened. Which is weird, because like I said, I don't believe in the supernatural. I don't believe that these sorts of things can happen. But my whole life, every time someone asks if I've ever experienced something supernatural, my mind always goes to this story. But I have no explanation for it. I mean, other than, oh, it had to have been a dream or something I saw on TV and somehow mixed up and thought of it myself. I don't know. Thank you, Gabe, for that strange little story. Now, when I first started hearing this, I thought I had it all figured out. See, I thought that when Gabe placed the bucket over top of the stuffed reindeer, it forced it to the uh, tapered end of the bucket, causing it to be trapped inside. So when he lifted it up, it was simply stuck to the top. But then he mentioned putting a action figure leg and blocks and a few other items in there that obviously would not uh, catch in the bucket in the same way. And armed with that information, I'm left speechless. Now this certainly sounds like it could be some sort of a skewed dream, or as something that happens to me quite often, I watched a TV show when I was a kid and remembered a scene from the show, and after 30 years of random information floating around in my head, I apply that story to myself. Uh, meaning that if I saw Alf do something on TV when I was eight, that now at my age, I remember that happening to me instead of Alf. That's a bad example, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Now, by no means am I saying that, uh, that Gabe is mistaken here, but it could be a logical explanation for an otherwise illogical story. The last thing that I'd like to point out about this is the fact that it took place in a church as I like to say, I, I did not grow up religious, so I'm not 100% sure how churches work and if churches are often haunted, that kind of situation. So perhaps there's some sort of poltergeist activity at the church and they found this a funny way to show themselves, or perhaps something more evil is at hand here. Uh, either way, the story's fascinating, and uh, I'd love to hear if anyone else has had a similar experience uh, where they were able to make things disappear and reappear in a similar fashion, something I'd like to explore a bit in the future. So thank you again, Gabe, for taking the time to share that. And on that note, that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Warren Pon Abbott, Tony Bell, and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Music for this episode was provided by Mayu and Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.
Is anyone there? Well, if you listened this far, you're in for a little treat. I've decided I'm going to start sneaking in a few stories here and there after the credits, just to kind of see who's paying attention and uh, keep things interesting for me. So to kick this little thing off, I have a story here from Don, which was a written submission. Hello. Back in Season 6, Episode 2, you had a woman on who said she saw a green butt cross the hood of her car. Well, I saw a green, glowing, transparent creature in May of 1983. It was 5.30 in the afternoon in my hotel located in Vero Beach, Florida. The weather was hot and clear. I had been sent down there to work. I walked out of the bathroom and stepped around the wall, and the creature was on the floor, two feet tall. I could see through the creature. I could still see the outlines of its eyes, ears, and nose, and the mouth of the monster. I jumped as if I was about to step on a snake. Then I rebounded behind the wall on reflex. I looked around the wall seconds later, and it was gone. I never really talked much about it to anyone. I had thought that I just stood up too fast and was seeing stars. In 2010, I was watching the Paranormal Society. They were discussing a glowing creature called the Puckwudgie. I quickly grabbed my computer and looked up the creature. The description detailed everything that I saw that afternoon. Well, from 2010 on, I firmly believe that there are more things in our world. Thank you for your podcast, Don. Well, thank you, Don. I love the Puckwudgie stories. I've heard some pretty compelling ones, and there certainly seems to be legends going back hundreds if not thousands of years detailing the creature. For more information on that, I highly recommend you go back to the early, early episodes of this show. Season 1, Episode 5, where I dive into the Puckwudgie in a little more detail. It's certainly a fascinating creature. Thank you again, Don, for sharing your story. And thank you for sticking around for the end of the show. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. If you look around, you'll see the world can be pretty smart. Okay, very smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart, too. That's why we're reshaping online learning with our FlexPath format. You can set your own deadlines, take classes at your own pace, even leverage your previous experience to move faster. So when it comes to earning your bachelor's degree, you know what kind of choice to make. A smart one. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.